Welcome to When We Speak, where we shed stigmas, say goodbye to shame, strengthen ourselves, and encourage others. I am your host, Tasha Hunter. This is a podcast where I am blending the intersections of race, gender, sexuality, faith, and trauma. If there is a topic that most people say we're not supposed to talk about, I'm talking about it because that is how we heal. We don't heal in silence. We heal by speaking out. So today we have Reverend Felicia Karazader and we're talking about her ministry, Revolution of Love. Rev. Felicia, if you could please introduce yourself and um, just tell everybody who you are and what you do and all of that. Okay, well, hello, Tasha. First off, hello to you. It's wonderful to be here and just to connect with you. It never ceases to amaze me like the wonders of social media and Instagram and, and that we can connect in this way. So, and yeah, so my name is Reverend Felicia Perizader. A lot of people just call me Rev. That's kind of become a, a term of endearment. And let's see, I, I'm an ordained interfaith minister. So that means I went to a seminary school uh, where I got to study different religions. Um, and I myself identify as a spiritual eclectic. That's how I identify. Um, and, you know, I, I yeah, well, I could, I'll leave that part there. Um, the other piece to know about me right, right off the top is that I am all about social justice, transformative justice. And so Revolution of Love is a ministry, and a, as we say, and a movement. So I kind of hold, I, I wear a lot of hats, but there's the minister hat, the pastor hat, and there's the agitator the fire, you know, all of those pieces of what, you know, really seeing the, the need to be change makers and change agents in the world like now. <laughs> so as I'm listening to you and just in reading about you, reading your bio and just following you on social media, I just always felt like you are redefining what it means to be a reverend mm-hmm. and, and who belongs in the room who belongs who does that title belong to and you're redefining that with your work matching the patriarchy you know we talked about that before recording kind of so Uh, i love i love what you're doing the name revolution of love tell me how you came name your ministry revolution of love and tell me what you know about love whatever you want to share regarding that or what you want listeners to know about love Mm, those are good. Those are really good questions, all of them. So, well, I must say that the, the original name to before it was Revolution of Love was actually Joyful Hearts. And that was because I realized there isn't enough joy. <laughs> there isn't enough joy in the world. And so when it launched December 12th, 2012 in Berkeley, California, it was Joyful Hearts. And then a year in, this is, this is funny because, <laughs> you know, so, you know, pastors were supposed to have these like theological, like reflections and espouse all this stuff. It's like, yeah, none of that, none of that shit for me. So I had a lucid dream. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you. Something. So I had this lucid dream and believe it or not, Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones turns up in this lucid dream and he writes across his chest revolution. And he's saying in his accent, revolution, revolution of love. And I'm thinking, what the hell is going on? And I start laughing in the dream because I'm awake in the dream. Mm -hmm. And I wake up laughing and I thought, that's it. Revolution of love. Roll 
R-O-L. And I thought, oh, the things we can do with this. So I wish I could tell you it was some, like I said, some burning bush moment and all. It was, however, when I began to analyze the name, mm-hmm. <laughs> when I began to analyze the name and breaking down the etymology of revolution, like to forcibly overthrow, mm-hmm. um, to have, to turn back to like, I'm adding a little bit now, but like turning back to what is true, to what is just, to what is right. Um, all of that feeling, I was like, oh yeah, this is definitely it. This is the direction this ministry and movement is about and it's going in. And then, but to, to make sure it's grounded and rooted in love. So yes, there is this forceful overthrow. There is this idea of paradigm shifts. There is this idea of absolute expansion and what can be and what must be. And still, what are we pointing to? What are we rooted in? And that is love. So yeah, all of that. I could listen to you for hours. My goodness. I didn't even get into the love part. I realized, but, um, but I'm already like, I'm into it. So go ahead. Yes. (laughs) So, okay. So the, in the love thing, see, this is where it can get tricky because I think initially people could see the name and think, Oh, this is like a kind of throwback to the sixties. Oh, that's really cute. Oh, what a nice little love ministry. It's like, Oh no, (laughs) we are. So it's so much more complex as life is right. And so the idea about um, this kind of love is it's love in the highest place in the highest realms, which we actually don't, we push back on the notion that love is always unconditional. I mean, like, can I go there? I mean, can I say so Derek Chauvin and the, the sentencing today? It's like, how do we bring love? And are we, how do we do that in that situation with a figure such as him, as an individual that is showing such display of being disconnected from his humanity? And, and, are, and are we supposed to love? And asking these hard questions, like, are we supposed to love or does that condone? Is that complicit? And so I think it's exciting because we are living in a time that we are getting to really reimagine all of this. So why not reimagine love? Because love has hurt people. A lot of times people go like, oh, I got to love this person unconditionally. And then what happens? Or they got to love a system unconditionally? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think that is really, um, well, dysfunctional and toxic to say the least to say the least. So that's where it's very exciting. There's, there's a balance that must be achieved and maybe, you know, maybe love is mercurial, like love shape shifts and moves. Mm-hmm. So that's just a little, that's just some of, this is what keeps me up at night, Tasha. <laughs> Can you tell? Yeah. You know? Well, I, I, I think that if we're going to, I talk a lot about decolonizing our faith and our beliefs and all the things so in hearing you talk about love, I thought she is really not just redefining it, but making it clear and separating it from, in my opinion, what we've been taught to believe from white supremacists, you know, that <laughs> that, that shaped so many dangerous, you know, messages about how we're supposed to relate to each other and forgive, forgive, forgive. And this is what love looks like in the patriarchy and all of that. There has to be a balance. There yeah. has to be a balance. So everything that, that you're saying, and, and really it starts with what 
looking at what does love look like? Because if we really all understood that, then we decreased the violence and the trauma. We decreased the damage that we're doing to other people. I'll just simplify it in that way. Does that make sense? It, yeah, it absolutely, it absolutely makes sense. And uh, when you when you say that, I think of um, one of the things we do at our role Sunday night Zoom is we say our our blessing after the welcome. There's a simple blessing, and you as a therapist, you know, like when people see feel seen and heard, you know, safety begins to create. You know, trust building, safety gets created, and love love starts to come in. And so we say simply, we see you, we hear you, we love you. And we say it three times. That's, it's a simple blessing. And I remember years ago when we first did that, I think it was kind of like, again, I don't think people realize the power in that statement. And that even though it, it, there's power there is like really seeing people hearing them, it can bring, it can open the door, I should say, like to love coming in. And so, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in terms of starting your, your ministry, what was it that kind of led you to start your own ministry? Can you kind of just let listeners in know your, your own path and, and journey to that? And, and what inspired you to say, you know what, this is what I need. Like I have got, if I want this to, to be something that's in the world to exist, I've got to be the one that, that creates this. What's, what started that for you? <laughs> well, as you know, I was sharing before we start recording, I kind of want to make a joke. Well, drugs, drugs. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, re, I'll say that more clearly. Um, recovery, <laughs> recovery from drugs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is sort of, some of it is sort of the textbook thing of, yeah. I had a hard story. Yeah. Did I, you know, the drugs, the alcohol, the traumas, all of that stuff that um, fortunately, uh, as they say in 12 step by the grace of God, you know, I had a moment a couple years in and, um, and interestingly enough, you know, once, once I had a couple years away from all of those addictive cycles, I kind of woke up and I went, well, I'm not going to be a famous musician, <laughs> which is what I had thought, you know, in my delusions of grandeur. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was at um, Carl's Jr., which is, I don't know if you have. Yeah, a little Charles burger place. Mm-hmm. Burger place, right? It was three in the morning and I uh, I had gone there. It was actually my birthday. I was turning 28 and I, go, I went there to get some like jalapeno poppers. <laughs> so I pull in and there's a man that is, seems to be experiencing homelessness and he's at the, at the drive-through window. And he asks me if I had a cigarette. And I said, I'm sorry, I left my cigarettes at the, at the house. Uh, and then he said, you want to get high? And I was, I kind of stopped short. And I, I said, actually, no, man, I'm, I'm actually clean and sober. And then he stops and looks at me, goes, this shit is killing me. Mm. And in that moment, like, it was like the theater lights descending, like, on down on us, um, the food didn't come for, I don't know how many minutes. It was bizarre because it's three in the morning. No one else is there. I, and he just begins to tell me some about himself and some of his story. And uh, it was, to the to say the least, extremely moving. Uh, it was really life-changing. And I asked him his name, which I always love to know people's names. 
asked him his name and I, I didn't know what else to say other than like, please don't give up, you know, just, just don't lose hope. And, um, eventually, you know, I had to pull away. So, um, that was a huge moment in my life where, you know, when I, when I pulled away from that, Tasha, I just, I went, you know, there's a lot of things that happened, uh, where I supposedly shouldn't be here. You know, I, I could easily not, not be on this side of the veil. And when I had that moment with this guy, it just, it just brought kind of like the, the puzzle pieces down on the table, like in such a way where I, I went, I, I really feel called to, at the time, just speaking and writing, that was it. And then as the years went by, I saw a great need for a place where people could worship that literally all identities. And this was in 09. So that was like 03. Fast forward in 09. Then I, uh, I, I was doing some activist work, protesting, and I actually saw what if, what if there was really a place where you could believe in a God or even not, and you could practice social justice work, like that would be the basis. Um, and it would be fun for God's sake, because <laughs> so much of the time, like a lot of this stuff is not fun. So how do we bring in the fun? Well, I'm a musician and that's originally my, I'm an artist. So I thought bring in the arts, bring in the music, bring in that element of fun. And so that's really how, you know, I don't come from pastors. I don't come from yeah. theologians. I, I, and, and a lot of it is informed by the, the traumas that I had and, you know, prayerfully, I like to claim that I, I am well, I am recovered. I don't, I don't go into a story around, oh, you know, I'll always be struggling, you know? Yeah. There's two things that I, that I just kind of noticed in you sharing about the, the man at Carl's Jr. If it was not for that moment of your own vulnerability and just say, saying to him, no, thank you. And even the pause, I heard you pause and say, you know, no, I'm clean and sober. Mm -hmm. And that allowing him to say, this stuff is killing me. Yeah. If you had not done that, if you just would have just like, nah, man, get out, you know, get the fuck out of here, whatever. <laughs> he, he wouldn't have been able to even admit that this it's killing me. Mm. And I love that you were able to, to do that for have him admit that and who knows we never know planting our own little mustard seeds we don't even know that they're freaking mustard seeds but where that leads people but in that moment that also shifted something for you mm -hmm. yeah oh, that's that's i appreciate you um lifting that up because that moment um that to me is one of the ways we can practice transformative justice. I mean, that it, that's it right there. We move on it, right? And instead of taking that, oh, I, ooh, I, or I don't have the time for this shit like you, you know, or, oh, or I'm not talking to this person that, you know, that, that othering that can have, instead just checking in, certainly tuning in and going, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to move into this moment and be with, be with right now. And that, uh, I don't know where I get that from. I think I've always had that, even when I was off to the races. Mm -hmm. <laughs> even when I was like, "Woo!" You know, mm -hmm. I'm told I had a lot of good times. I don't remember all of them, <laughs> but but seriously, <laughs> um, 
that moment, I, I search for those moments because that to me is such a juicy part where we can connect. It's connection. That's all like, to me, that's all ministry is. Whether people are connecting to a Godhead, whether in this moment you and I are connecting, I mean, that's, that's all it is. You know, I know some people say, that's not true. It's the, it's all so much more. It's like, well, that's, that's a starting point. Yeah. Conversations like this and the, the, the moments that we have these heart to heart connections, those are the moments for me when I feel God, but the way that I feel God these days is in conversations like this and in conversations with real people, real connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I could be wrong, but, but I feel like that is the call for all of us. That's the kind of the ministry for all of us is to, to build connection, to build community for and with each other. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's why we see the church. Um, well, there's a lot, well, there's a lot of reasons. I think one of the things why we see folks, uh, you know, not wanting to go to church, even if it's a Zoom service, like for most of last year, is because because of the format, simply like the, the talking at instead of the sitting in circle, you know, which is a indigenous, you know, all of these different ways that now people are going, oh, that feels so good. We have to return to this. And it's yeah. like, yeah, we really do. I mean, that is something that was was noted at our community meeting recently. People said we want more of this. You know, right. it's like they want a service too, certainly to receive the food. And, uh, and yet, you know, we can't, we just, we need these conversations. We need one another and community so much. It's so, yeah, it is so important, like you're saying. Yeah, it is. So I want to go back because you mentioned your work with transformative justice. And if you could explain for anybody that is really unfamiliar with what transformative justice is, what that means, if you could just kind of explain that and then talk about work in that realm of transformative justice in your own community and and just as a reverend. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, so we know that our system is set up right now as a punitive one, as a criminal justice system, that we know that. And we know that that starts very early on um, in that like getting a time out and you're shunned like from community and, and, and it just grows from there. And so one of the things I've loved about nonviolence and transformative justice um, because to me, those, those are very similar, is that this is really about how we can foster and nurture one another before these things happen, um, as much as it is also about, say, harm has been done by someone in a community, like getting to the root of like what happened. And, and I just, to me, this is so exciting, transformative justice being about like, we're not going to just make an apology. We're going to actually look at like all the players in this situation. We're going to draw in like the context and all the history and all of this. So that way we can transform it and change it into a society where there is safety, where they're not just safety, but with people are thriving, um, where there's equity, all the things that most people will say they want. And yet when it comes down to it, I'm not sure <laughs> People believe that it can actually exist. I'm not sure people actually believe that it can exist. So, so 
we really have to transformative justice is first of all such a huge call that requires i believe a lot of stability we have to be like as grounded as we can be going into such an expansive mindset and that's where role provides a lot of tools on, I like to say, spiritual containment, developing one's spiritual container. Another way of saying that is, is more simply might be like a sense of self, you know? So that way, when one is posed like different ideas of like, what if we abolish, you know, what if we abolish the death penalty? What, what does that mean? What does that look like? What about decarceration? You know, what about uh, defunding the police and those steps that it takes to abolish the police. What does all this mean? That way it won't be so jarring where people are like, oh my God, I can't take it. So it is just an absolutely expansive vision. And I believe we are going to get, we have to get there. We have to get there because we're we're killing each other. We're killing people. We're killing the planet. You know, we, we can't, um, we can't go on like this. And I think there are enough people that believe in there are enough, here's the thing, there's enough people that are doing this work. We might not hear about it, but there's enough people that are holding it down and that have been doing this work for a really, really long time. And so, you know, role, one of the things we do is we do Seva check-ins. Seva being um, in Sanskrit, you know, selfless service. We do Seva check-ins. We have our Sunday service and then in the week, people are encouraged to check in on each other, you know, as a form of practicing transformative justice. Let's check, check in on one another. You know, so we, we had someone that was this close to being unhoused. They had a GoFundMe. So we gave to that GoFundMe, that fundraiser. And they were saying just Wednesday night that if it wasn't for role, that they would, they don't know what would have happened. You know, they're in safety now. They have a place now. So it's, it's the things that we often forget about simply like, again, connecting with people (laughs) Mm -hmm. and like going, you know, I noticed that you, you, are you feeling all right? How are you doing it? Or identifying saying, I, I'm not feeling so good. I'm, I'm reaching out or. There's so much that I heard in what you said. Number one, uh, you got my full attention when you talked about the need for safety and as a trauma survivor and trauma therapist, that is number one, mm-hmm. we're all in need of safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and then the sense of self, um, that's so important in connecting people with their own sense of self and the highest version of who they are and can be, right? Everything that you're saying about transformative justice is also, for me as a therapist, it sounds extremely trauma-informed and steeped in like harm reduction and creating that community. But but when I think about being the hands and feet that's revolution of love. That's transformative justice. Yes, absolutely. On on all of those, on all of those, all of those pieces. You know, sometimes people are like, oh, I don't know where to start. It's like, start anywhere. You know, like check in on people, like I said, or um, let someone in, say, you know, I'm having a mental health issue. You know, my or I, I'm really triggered. You know, I need someone to like be with me right now. I, I've been known to do this for years before I even knew like de-escalation techniques. Uh, you know, if you hear something, if you hear like a couple fight, you know, tune in with yourself. And if you get so moved, you know, move on it. Like be, you know, see what you can do to intervene in said situation. So 
there's like so many possibilities when it comes to just, when it comes to healing <laughs> and, and yeah, and harm reduction. And um, so that's, that's one thing I, yeah, it's, it's not like, oh my gosh, what can we do? It's, oh, what can we do, <laughs> you know, from that place? Yeah. So in terms of, I want to talk to you about community. Oftentimes I will work with, with people who have been so damaged in their families of origin, their church homes. I don't want to connect with anybody else. And with these people in mind, can you talk about the importance of community? The radical healing that can ensue when people are accepted for who they are right now, well, there's, there's, yeah, there's no telling what can happen. And I think, you know, what role, what we have gotten to do is push the bounds of what a lot of, a lot of uh, churches or religious organizations do, because we're saying, Hey, come as you are, you know, we are multi-path. So we've had six Muslims, Jews, pagans, we have pagans come, we have humanists come, agnostics, atheists, Christians, yes. And, and that's just the, the, the path or faith tradition piece. You know, it's all, all identities, you know? So yes, racial identity, class, status, ability, age, gender, um, sexual orientation, all of these things we're saying, come as you are. And we're not doing you a favor. Like that's one of the other things I have to make mention of. Like, that's not, you know, this doesn't make us good. This is what, this is how it's supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to be. What I have gotten to see, which is fascinating since 2012 is somehow role has been, a, it has been a safe place. I think that has been modeled by the people that have been in leadership over time. You know, my co-minister in Berkeley, Reverend April Bolin, we, we, we made sure, you know, we held it down energetically. There's lots of things one can do to, to make sure that this is a safe environment. You know, there's the covenant, there's reading the mission and the vision statement. All these pieces matter to create that. And so people know, wow, something's going on here. And they, they feel it. They can feel it even on Zoom. It's so wild, even on Zoom. Now, it's not to say we haven't messed up. It's not to say we haven't made mistakes over the time, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. There were things made, comments made rather, in Zoom that did create um, disturbance for folks and, and talk about accountability, you know, and trying to make those things right and, and to kun alam, you know, to fix, to repair. <laughs> uh, However, I, I do think that for the most part, it's, it's a brave space for people to come. The community is healing each other. It's, it's, it's a growing, like, healing force. Yeah. And we do this work, I used to say on this flow chart that I created for World, we do this work individually and we do this work as a community. And I changed that, Tasha. I changed it to, we do this work in covenant. Mm-hmm. And then we do this work in community because I think the onus on the individual, we got to stop that. Like even self-care, self-care, self-care. I think of course self-care. And it's just like, I've got folks coming that can barely get out of bed, you know? So to go here, do some self-care, keep mm-hmm. doing it. It's like, Oh, you know, the trauma is like, <laughs> like yeah, you know, it's just, yeah. too you know what I'm yeah. saying? It's like, what about what can, how can I be with you again? Like, you know, with boundaries, <laughs> with boundaries, but that, yeah. that piece around shifting from like, God, it's, oh, I gotta do this. I gotta, it's like, what about in covenant with each other or, or yes, God spirit and 
just feeling that that is such a different life form. It feels so much more like, ah, <laughs> I can breathe, you know? Yeah. I think that you stated that beautifully, especially the piece about self-care because in the mental health world and, you know, coaches and, and different people, we're always talking about freaking self-care, but what does that even mean when you are struggling with maybe medical issues or addiction or poverty or just all of the things. There's so many barriers to knowing how to care for yourself, you know, and, and nobody's thinking about coping skills when you're thinking about, well, what am I going to eat? Right. Or how am I going to pay my rent? Right. Right. And, And all of these different things. And so I love that, that you spoke about that. Can you talk about the power of connection with self and also with others? Well, I guess one of the things that comes to mind right now is how we have so much volleying, maybe, you know, for our attention, you know, there's so many distractions and, you know, personally, a lot has not changed for me. I mean, I'm still out there doing justice work in the streets and yet I'm still, I'm also very much on Zoom, you know, working with people and, and so it is really, it is a challenge to create connection in a very spiritually intimate way you know, in a real spiritually intimate, bold way. There is a challenge there. I mean, even before the pandemic, let's name it. It's like, I don't know about you, but when I got my smartphone, like I noticed my attention span shift. I never had that. I am one of, I used to be, I still am very present, but people used to say, wow, you're really present. Like, and now I'm like, you know, like I'm on that. And so to, to come back to practices I think that we, that yes, some is, you know, uh, we can do by ourselves, you know, like a spiritual practice, simple action of like taking the breath and breathing. So that way, when I come into this conversation with you, I am really able to be connected here in this moment, you know, just a simple breath. You know, doing these, I have different spiritual practices that I will do. It's not like it was else, to be honest, you know, 20 years ago, I was doing Vipassana meditation and I was for hours a day and all of this. I don't really do that anymore. Uh, you know, I don't, mm-hmm. I, I um, was very almost monastic or something or ascetic um, looks differently for me now, but the ways like that, the power of connection, um, I think there first has to be named of like what we're up against. Maybe that's it. Like what we're up against and like how hard it is to be bravely human at such a time as this. And then to, to be willing to connect. It's very scary for people. I forget that. Like I I'm just built, I'm wired for it. I, I, I love it. I want to, but I, I have to sometimes take a pause and go, Oh, wow. It is a risk for, for people to come, to come yeah. forward and to yeah. hold that in such a compassionate way. Mm-hmm. And so again, you know, like you, you know, that's where safety does come up, like safety, compassion. And a lot of the work I do one-to-one with people is about bringing in, uh, you know, re- the reparenting that needs to happen where people can feel that, that sense of calm and, and begin to come forward a little bit more. I love that. Thank you. I love this conversation. Can you speak more to the fear that we have in connecting with each other? Works well, right? When you go, 
well, just stop it. <laughs> I'm just going to stop doing it. Yeah, that's going to work, right? <laughs> that's that's going to usually cause more alarm and more anxiety. So, you know, it's like maybe maybe asking, you know, like what are these distractions about? Gosh, I love my I have a spiritual director as a clergy, just love her, Megan Wagner, wonderful. She brought in so much around compassion. She's that's a lot of her work. And that message of compassion wasn't always something, it wasn't something I heard in this society and this culture. I'm I mean, I'm because I'm really I'm I'm pretty tough. Like mm-hmm. so to hear this message of compassion, I, I would say that right now, right there is like li- through that listening, like, yeah, if there's anxieties that come up for whatever the reason. If it's unplugging, if it's the distractions, oh, I don't know, I, I, I'm not sure how to shift into anything different. It's like bringing in that, that love and that compassion for oneself. And that may be very hard if, if someone has not experienced that, right? If someone has not had that modeled for them at all, then maybe they need help. You know, maybe they reach out to someone that they can work with and, and develop that more. I, I guess the other word when you first asked that, Tasha, was like pace and rhythm. You know, not everybody is, um, since like, like you said, I mean, wired for like that connection, like honoring, honoring one's um, vessel, one's being, one's like abilities. Like I'm extroverted, you, you know, I'm an ENFP. You know, it's, and I'm not as extroverted as I used to be though. I noticed now I like to have my little cave time too, <laughs> but I, I just believe firmly the more that young place that you want to call it inner child, those youngest parts of ourselves, the more that they are honored and seen and heard, it will build resilience. You know, it will be, you'll be able to come out forward, uh, come forth rather and, and at a pace that is gentle and advantageous. On one of your your IG reels, you talked about triaging your pain. Can you share a little bit on that topic? Yeah, well, that was said because I had just done it. Mm. <laughs> I'm doing it. And I am not typically like that. And I've experienced a lot of loss since February. I realized that over a week had gone by and I had not even like sat for a moment and been able to grieve my cousin who just died of alcoholism, two years older than myself. And it had been over a week. And I, I was looking through my texts and I realized I hadn't responded to someone that knew him. And I went, because, because I'm so busy because I've got the ministry and I've got this and I've got that. And, uh, and I went, that shit needs to stop like right now. <laughs> and yet the larger story came in of how many people I'm hearing currently, especially currently saying that they're overwhelmed, you know, that they're just overcome right now by life. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go on this like sort of exegesis around this of like, you know, yeah, we, I think a lot of people, it's, it's a balancing act in a way that turns unhealthy into like triage. I mean, sometimes, yes, we have to compartmentalize and that's fine. Uh, however, what happens when that goes on too long? Like if I hadn't that self-awareness come in, in that moment, Tasha, it's like, what if I just push that aside, that grief, you know, which is like some, some solid grief about family systems and, that he died of alcoholism. I mean, totally transparent. I, that's me. And, you know, I'm glad that I had that moment because 
it's like, yeah, I gotta, I, I need to sit for a second. Oh, oh no, no, no. And I, you know what I think I said was we have to make, we have to make the time. We have to make the time for our grief. That's it. I mean, grief is a big thing with me. It's like, yeah. we have to, because if we don't grieve, there's unprocessed grief, then, oh my That's God, I totally believe it's linked to violence. The traumas. Yeah. And you talked about that, that, that link between being unable to grieve and then the violence in our society. And so when I heard that, that's, that's the inability. If, if you're, if you're avoiding grief, you're avoiding feeling. And if you don't have feeling, then it makes it easy to commit violence on another person. Mm. And even to numb yourself or to be numb in the face of violence against other people, like other people being the victims of violence. It's easy to numb and just not feel anything that. if you don't if you don't know how to feel and grieve your own stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I'm just, yeah, I would I'm like bouncing off the walls hearing you say that. Absolutely. And and how do we grieve? I mean, people are a lot of folks are, it's terrifying to to go into our feelings. <laughs> it's really scary. You know, I mean, I personally didn't have those tools. I didn't, I didn't have that shown to me. And then, and then the idea of grief, I mean, I remember there was a question I put out once years back uh, through email. I said, what do you think is the biggest problem facing human humanity? I think that's how I worded it. Mm-hmm. And this woman who had been in seminary with Jillian Froby said unprocessed grief. Mm. wow holy shit i mean people were naming things you know the climate crisis and this and and all of it was valid all i mean there's i don't think there's a wrong answer there that just Mm -hmm. took me in and i just went and as someone that studies violence i study violence more than i study peace i just said it's wow i mean the 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 connections the the we the web of violence and how just what you said Imagine if, yeah, if we were all resourced, if we all knew how to grieve, then that idea of violence, which is the voice of I hurt, you're going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Like how that would be, I think, eradicated. I think it would be at least the minimum alleviated. Yeah, I, th- I think across the board and being able to name things. I talk a lot with my clients and just even just in other conversations about sadness and it's one of the most uncomfortable emotions for people to feel mm. so when I hear you talk about grief it's it's hard if you've especially I don't know about your family but but if you've grown up in a family system where naming emotions sadness frustration disappointment just hurt if that was ignored or just not welcomed and it can you can know that it's unwelcomed either explicitly or 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 just implicitly. So um, if it's not practiced and, and so when we think about violence from that perspective, if you grow up in a system in which again, things are, are numbed or, or, or there's silence and shame and secrecy and all of these things, this really toxic behaviors, well, those emotions are going to come out in one way or another. And oftentimes it's violence, especially if, (laughs) You've grown up in a family where violence is normalized and accepted. Yeah. It's that, that emotion, it has to come out. It's not going to stay stuck. It's going to come out harm to self or harm to others, or maybe both. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So with the, the work that you're doing in the nonviolence arena, the transformative justice arena, social justice, what keeps you going personally in the face of so much violence daily, so much despair? Well, the, the work. I mean, the, the, the need for change, the fervent 
belief, desire, conviction, commitment that, that I have that like, we got to do this. Like mm-hmm. that's all there is to it. I will say that before I was ordained, I think I would fall into depression more. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have that now. I was in 2012 when I was ordained, there was a distinct shift. Also, you know, it's like, look, I've got privilege. So, you know, yeah, there's gender stuff. Certainly there's, there's certainly things that, and there's the traumas that I've experienced, but the more integrated I become, it's like, I, I, I don't, I don't need to, I can't tarry. I'm not here to like waste any time. Yeah. There's the, the sadness and the despair that can come in. I have just always compelled and propelled to keep moving forward. I mean, it's just, that's, And it's funny, you know, I guess when I say that to you too, I think to myself, like when people go, I don't know about hope. And do you think any of this will ever change? You know, do you think all all these different things, all of the injustice, all of the violence, do you think it'll change? It's like, I don't think I even go there anymore. I'm it's like, it's, it's the thing of somehow a symbiotic balance between being absolutely present now and doing the work. And then also going just, this is where we're, going to go. Again, I made that commitment. And, and as I said, having privilege, I feel that's a very important thing to mm-hmm. like continue to center whiteness and just be aware and, 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 and that way. So, I mean, what keeps me going is the work. And, and if I get tired, you know, I'll take a nap for an hour, you know, like that's, you know, that's yeah. fine. You know, it's uh, but I had years and years of doing and, and I still do it, but I'm talking about like when you're coming out of the stuff that I came out of, like abuse and all these things, I have years of doing inner work. So I have a very strong emotional container. And I also came in that way. I mean, I'm able to hold many different things at one time, but I don't do here. The good news is Tasha is I don't do it at my expense anymore. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Recovering from codependency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't do that shit at my expense anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's really, that's a, a, a big difference now. Mm-hmm. So, but I can hold a lot. And you've been through a lot. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and you go through your own healing journey. It does. I think we're the same in that regard. You can, you can hold a lot. It's, it's, it's okay. It's mm-hmm. okay. You take breaks, you take naps. And so I want to talk about the revolution of love and we've been talking about it, but now I want to talk about it some more. <laughs> Just that word ministry. How, how, how does it set it apart from what people really think of in terms of what a ministry is? Well, yeah. So I think I even have had hesitation continuing usage of the word ministry. So that's why I've added very recently this, the term multi-path, you know, multi-path um, because that that's really, we're, you know, we're not non-denominational, we're not interfaith even, or multi-faith. Because some mm-hmm. people that have come through that are still there are, they don't have a faith tradition. So language is important. Language matters. What I believe happens when people attend the Zoom is because there isn't necessarily a lot of scripture being, I don't, I don't utilize a lot of scripture from, from really any tradition. I might drop some in, say, from the Quran or maybe a Sufi poet or, uh, yeah, maybe there might be a little bit of my Protestant upbringing that will come out every now and again when I pray. It's just at the, at the beginning, there are statements made, again, to create this very, uh, very carefully constructed container that people know 
this is what you've just walked into. This is a brave space. This is a safe space. You are welcome here. We see you, we hear you, we love you. And also saying, this is not like, this is not your everyday ministry, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and amen to that. Yeah. Like this is, this is, yeah, prayerfully, it's an experience that maybe they've never even had. When I, when I heard you, as you described it, I don't remember if we were even recording yet or not, but what I wrote down is in your ministry, I heard freedom through diversity and in true inclusion does not matter about your race, does not matter about your, you know, whatever your faith belief or your faith path is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, your denomination, throw that out the window. Your denomination, that, that does not matter, okay? A denomination, no denomination does not matter. You're welcome here. Mm-hmm. You're, and, and so if you come from church trauma where you were minimized or, or ignored because you're a woman and you couldn't serve, or because you identify as a, a member of the LGBTQ plus community. Oh, you're not welcome here either. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, in this church, we don't really have people of different races or cultures. Um, and so you probably wouldn't feel comfortable here or you're not welcome here. No, everybody's welcome here. Mm-hmm. And as I'm hearing you just just really talk about your journey, um, your ministry, your work, I just sense that it is really a place. There's so much freedom in just joining with others to do the work of building community and really a community of love for everybody. And that's it. I don't know. It just makes a lot of sense to me. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I'm so glad you're coming on Sunday to our service. (laughs) Am I? Yeah, you like how I I just did that. No, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I'd love to have you. You know, I mean, because I love I and I say because that word freedom. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that is that does indeed exemplify role. The you yeah. know revolution of love. It does, and I think that has been sort of a uh, conflicting place for some. Meaning the expansiveness of role has been disorienting for people Uh at times because Uh of what you just said. And it's such a good point. Uh, Most things in life, it's got to look like this, you know, Uh whatever it is, whether it's okay, believe in God this way, love this way, you know, do Uh it this way, one way, one way, this disease of oneness. Uh And we're saying, no, we're saying no to that. We're saying, let's, you know, throw open the door. I mean, here we go. And the only hard line, I say this every service, the only hard line for folks as far as inclusive inclusion um, and, and that big welcome to all is if one is committed and married to systems and structures or, or any form of hatred, oppression, and violence, mm-hmm then it's probably not going to work for you. This is me saying it, but probably not going to work for you here. And you might mm-hmm. want to keep it moving. If you are even willing, however, mm-hmm. to look at any of that, then stick around. Okay. Yeah, so that's the one hard line that like, look, and I had to put that in at some point about five years into this thing. Like, because look, if this is going to be a safe space, then it's important for people to make sure like, we don't want any of that noise here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if there's people like, you know, white supremacists coming in or anti's mm-hmm. coming in, then mm-hmm. you can keep it on moving there because we've got enough uh, powerful contagion of love here. People that want to get better, to grow, to heal, to change mm-hmm. and to do the change. 
You know, we've got mm-hmm. enough people. We don't, we don't need that. And that was a hard lesson learned because I used to be like, oh, it's going to be, ever-. no, it doesn't, we don't need that. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, that's yeah. not something a lot of people do that kind of, a lot of times I think it's, let's have those hard conversations. I'm not so sure about that, especially mm-hmm. when we've got people, like I said, that we want to create some safety. So yeah. anyway, that, that, and that piece around the, the oneness, no, we, we, um, we, we, we don't, we, we don't believe that way. Yeah. And so it's fun to have agnostics, atheists coming in and to hear back from them. I know I've got a place here. Mm-hmm. I feel welcomed at role. Yeah. Wow. I love what the expansiveness of what you're creating. And so people who are a a part of maybe oppressed uh, communities or situations, people who are quote unquote on the margins, Mm -hmm. um, there's room for them and there's welcomeness um, for them. They are welcome, more than welcome, and and they have a home. So, So I love what you're creating. So um, we're almost at the end and I've just got a couple of more questions for you. If you are wanting to listen to music and move your body, uh, what's on your playlist? What are you listening to? Oh gosh. What's on my playlist? Should I pull one up? <laughs> if you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me, let me look right now. It shows you I haven't been doing enough of it. If I can't tell you, oh, it looks like I was listening to some Michael Franti, some, mm-hmm. uh, don't rush some, mm-hmm. let's, Oh gosh, I had some Bobby, Bobby Caldwell <laughs> all over the place. I'm all over the yeah. place. Yeah. The place. Yeah. Pretty, I mean, so many things, like so many things. What, um, I have to say, I, I never had known about Billie Eilish. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd heard her. Yeah. I'm like, I saw that, uh, the movie that she, that came out about her, the documentary. Mm-hmm. And I was quite impressed, uh, by her. Probably not so much the the dancing piece uh, to her music, rather, but mm-hmm. um, just the artistry and yeah. also you know a new way for I think our young people to talk about being with their emotions. I think she's giving people permission. So I'm sorry, this is sort of turning, but it's like mm-hmm. she's giving people permission, perhaps, to have yeah. that a voice of like pain, yep. and angst, and and now she's you know getting a little older and. She had that video that just came out where they're all, you know, they're dancing and a bunch of like, you know, like girls night kind of thing. And it's like a whole different, she actually seems like she's a little bit more in joy. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I run the gamut. I mean, I'm originally a classical pianist. So, mm-hmm. and then I, started, and I played jazz for a while, so I can, I can pretty much roll with whatever. Prince is what I've been listening to lately. I'm on pop life. Mm-hmm. When I walk my dog, I'm listening to anything by Prince. I, so he, I still can't yeah. believe not with us anymore i just can't yeah. I still, yeah and sheila e i was watching their concert one of their concerts uh just the other night and just stunned by you know, all of it yeah <laughs> all of it so who or what makes you laugh me <laughs> me uh my father is uh one of the most hysterical people i've ever known mm-hmm. uh, I have some dear friends. I think of my friend James right now. Yeah, I I have a group of friends that we laugh together, some silly stuff. And who or what inspires you? I have to say, you know, being a non, one of my degrees is in nonviolence. And so for years, even before I was studying in college, 
the civil rights movement was a huge thing for me. It was a definite place of um, being a child of the 70s or maybe I should say the 80s. I was born in 74. Um, I felt like I didn't have much to point to as far as inspiration, you know, like the music. Um, I, I loved the music of this that time. And then hearing about Beard Rustin and Reverend James Lawson, who I met back many years ago and when I was still living in Oakland, and I lost my marbles. I mean, this is a man, you know, who trained the Fisk University students, lunch counter sit-ins, trained them in nonviolence. That is um, deeply, deeply inspirational. And, and currently, you know, me going to Black Lives Matter in Los Angeles on Wednesdays, seeing the leadership and how that is organized. It's being women led. So people mm -hmm. like Dr. Melina Abdullah, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, I kind of lost it when I met her more formally. <laughs> you know, the thing is, it's respect. It's respect. Yeah. Like, so those are just some folks, you know, from Lawson to Melina, Dr. Melina Abdullah, um, that I've gotten to meet and, and listen and learn from. And, and again, what do they hold in common? The visionary mindset. Mm -hmm. They're so visionary. So that's to me, yeah. so exciting and inspirational. Okay. And then our last question, if someone wants to get involved with the revolution of love ministry, or they want to uh, take part via zoom or just whatever, if you can share, how would they do that? Um, and if anybody just wants to follow you on social media, how can they, how can they do that as well? Oh, thank you. So, yeah. um, there's a role ministry and movement. That's our Instagram. There's also mine. Uh, if people would want to check me out first, like who is this, who's this bald chick mm -hmm. <laughs> that's rev underscore Felicia. Um, and then our link tree has a lot of resources and people can even get a sense of like who we are, what we're about, what we're doing. And the Zoom link for our Sunday night service is right at the top of the link tree. So that's the forward slash revolution of love. So link tree, like, yeah, link tree forward slash revolution of love. And, uh, you know, I would suggest people just come and check it out first off. I mean, we certainly want more and more people involved. I definitely want more people involved in leadership. Um, since we're growing out and we're going to be having more pop-up events. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important, however, to not move too fast and say, hey, you know, maybe people just need to come and receive. Mm -hmm. Let's, you know, I mean, I'm such an ambitious person. I sort of like, yeah, let's get you doing this. And like, wait a minute, mm -hmm. maybe that person just needs to heal if they are coming from it, like you were saying, a traumatic place. Maybe mm -hmm. they just sit and they and they just receive. Mm -hmm. we can we can trust build we can relationship build and see where it goes and flows from there so but feel free to attend a service that that's always a good beginning point yeah thank you so much for uh allowing me to uh just interview you for my podcast and uh, i feel totally honored to to just get all of your info and points of view on love and connection and all the things that we talked about today. I really appreciate you. Oh my gosh. Thank you very much, Tasha. It was, this was a lot of fun and uh, I look forward to more just learning about you. So thank totally. you. 
Thank you so much for listening to When We Speak. Follow me on Instagram at Tasha Hunter LCSW. If you haven't done so yet, please rate, review, and follow me on iTunes and share it on your social media. If you want a copy of my book, What Children Remember, it is available on Amazon. Until next time. 